0: Let me guess, you're playing your ball out of the wrong fairway again. Stop yelling, four, right? After every shot and start playing the new Big Bertha B21 from Callaway. Because truth is, there's a ton of distance trapped inside your swing. You just need the technology of Big Bertha to unlock it. It's pretty simple. A straighter ball equals a longer ball. So Callaway built a whole family of Big Bertha drivers, irons, woods, and hybrids with a new formula for forgiveness. Big Bertha was designed to reduce side spin while generating an insane amount of ball speed, leading to straighter shots off the tee. That's how you unleash your inner distance. And Callaway made Big Bertha iron so forgiving, you can practically hit him anywhere on the face and the ball just launches. No matter your swing, Big Bertha gives every shot more distance. Big Bertha is a full family of long, forgiving, and really easy-to-hit clubs. Say hello to the fairway again. Introduce yourself to the green, because this is distance any way you swing it. Unlock your inner distance today at CallawayGolf.ca slash Big Bertha. For more than 200 years, science has had a surefire way of dealing with many deadly, debilitating viruses. The vaccine. And as we move through our COVID-19 pandemic, a vaccine is what we're all hinging our hopes on if we want to get back to normal. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is Ten I'm joined by National Post health reporter Sharon Kirkey to discuss how important a vaccine is to beating the pandemic, how officials could decide who receives it first, and what concerns people may have about it. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Sharon, since the start of the pandemic, there have been two things that people say are the only real ways to get us out of this mess. There's herd immunity and there's vaccines. And there are two ways to get herd immunity through the virus passing through society and having people catch it and recover and develop immunity. And then there's vaccines. And this may seem like an obvious question, but why would vaccines be the preferred route here?
1: Well, yesterday I had a great chat with Matthew Miller. He's this infectious diseases researcher at McMaster University in Hamilton. And he kind of neatly summed it up this way. He said that... The best vaccines are the ones that most closely mimic the actual pathogen. So in this case, the virus that causes COVID, they most closely mimic the pathogen without making people sick or killing them. And normally the immunity we get when we're exposed to the actual virus, it's really strong because our body responds to every part of that pathogen. The problem with that is that you get sick and some people will die for that to happen. With the vaccines, they use sort of parts of the virus that they know the immune system will respond to. So Mm -hmm. in this case, for many of the vaccines, the front runners focus on the spike protein, you know, that protein that coats the outside of the virus that causes COVID. That's what the virus uses to attach to and enter and infect cells. So when you vaccinate someone and their body is shown parts of that spike protein, the immune system starts generating antibodies and those antibodies bind to the protein and they prevent your cells from getting infected without you getting sick. Mm -hmm. So with something like SARS, you have two options, right? You mentioned we let the virus run through the population naturally. So people get infected and then develop immunity. But a massive number of people die to achieve that immunity, or we vaccinate and a vaccine's going to save lives because it means a lot of people won't get infected, or if they do get infected, the disease will be less severe.
0: Now, early on, many were saying the vaccines could take up to 18 months or two years to develop, and recently that window has now shortened. How long could it be before we see the first COVID-19 vaccines?
1: Well, U.S. President Donald Trump has insisted they'll be out before the November election in the U.S. And he's, last time I read, he's insisted like 100 million doses could be distributed in the U.S. by the end of the year. Though officials at the CDC say it's going to be more like maybe the second quarter of 2021. I was speaking yesterday with Alan Bernstein. He's a member of Canada's federal COVID-19 vaccine task force. These are the people that are been asked to Advise the government on what vaccines we should be pre purchasing. He said that he thinks we can expect to see vaccines in doctors' offices in Canada sometime in the first quarter of 2021, so spring 2021, or at the latest, the second quarter. He thinks that we'll see the data. From those big phase three trials that are going on now, those trials that have 30,000, 40,000 people in them, we should see the data from those trials by the end of the year. And it just is a matter of how many of those vaccines then get approved by Health Canada and how quickly they can be approved.
0: Mm -hmm. So even if we get a vaccine developed sooner than expected, what are the concerns with a new vaccine for a new virus?
1: With this virus, no one's ever succeeded in developing a vaccine against a coronavirus in humans. I mean, there are other circulating, there's five or six other coronaviruses that have circulated for years. And I think one of the big, big concerns is just around the sheer speed that companies are trying to develop a vaccine. It normally takes 10 to 15 years to develop the vaccine, and here everyone's trying to do it in like one year. And the other big question is, will a vaccine provide lasting protection, right? So there have been smaller studies in humans, the phase one and phase two trials, and they showed that the vaccines provoke at least a short-term immune response, but but it's too soon to know just how long that immunity will last. There have been a few reports of reinfection, you know, people who recovered from COVID who later, like months later, tested positive for the disease again, which has led to you know pretty big worries that any immunity that we might see with a vaccine might not be terribly long lasting. And then there's also the question about okay what happens if the virus changes? Mm-hmm. What happens if the virus sort of shifts, they call it or evolves in a way that it can evade that immunity we get from a vaccine or if we were infected before the natural immunity we have. Um you know there's no sign yet that it's changing in a dramatic way but it, viruses always mutate so they're watching that carefully. So those are the two big questions, immunity, you know how long will it last and what happens if the virus
0: changes. You mentioned that we've never developed a vaccine for a coronavirus before. What is it about this kind of virus that makes it such a daunting prospect?
1: Well, I guess it's because it's a completely new virus, right? It just revealed itself to humans, but nine months ago now. So it's a completely different and brand new virus, even though it's part of the coronavirus family. And again, it's been impossible up until now to get an effective immune response with a vaccine. Anytime they've tried to develop a vaccine against a coronavirus, they've hit this problem where they just can't trigger enough immunity with it to make a vaccine viable. It's even more challenging than with influenza. Like influenza, we do get a new vaccine vaccine every season because it tends to shift from one season to the next. And those vaccines, you know, the efficacy can be quite low sometimes, you know, 50% or 60%. With the new vaccines that they're trying to develop for COVID against SARS-CoV-2, what they're hoping for is 60 to 70% efficacy but you know we may not even see that we may see 50% efficacy so it's just extraordinarily difficult and also because it's just a brand new virus you know this brand new virus that we've never seen before
0: with vaccines there's lots of talk out there now about existing vaccines and people are hesitant to get vaccines or people don't have a high opinion of certain vaccines why may people be hesitant to get a coronavirus vaccine
1: I think people are hesitant, and I hear it among my own circles and my colleagues and friends. I think the biggest concern is the scramble to push these vaccines out. And people worry that maybe corners are being cut. People might not trust the vaccines or trust that the government is going to take the necessary steps to provide a safe one. I mean, Alan Bernstein, again, of the Vaccine Task Force said that they've had presentations by experts about vaccine hesitancy. So they themselves, task force members, are concerned about this. And it's not the extreme anti-vaxxers, right? People who have long been opposed to any vaccine, let alone a COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, those people who push those conspiracy theories, you know, the vaccine will be used to implant microchips into people's bodies, or they're being made with, you know, monkey brains. The people that are expressing concerns, it's people who I think really quite reasonably have this kind of, you know what, I'm going to wait and see what happens. You know, I I probably will get vaccinated, but I don't want to go first. You know, you go first and I'm going to wait and see what happens because it's 10 to 15 years to develop a vaccine. We're trying to do this in one year. So there's not going to be a lot of, quote, long-term data Mm -hmm. with this vaccine. So there's sort of this reluctance to say, you know what, I'm just going to wait it out a bit and see what happens. The trouble with that is if too many people say that, we're not going to get the uptake that we need to try to build up herd immunity and to try to liberate ourselves out of these lockdowns and, and other measures that are needed. So we need to really address that concern that people have around safety and try to reassure people that corners aren't being cut and it's not a politicized process here in Canada like it is in the US.
0: Is some uptake better than no uptake with a vaccine? you get some societal benefit if you know it's not as great an uptake as we'd want to see?
1: Of course, you know, some uptakes better, right? But the less effective the vaccine. So again, let's say it's 60 to 70% that's optimistic, effective. That's sort of the target they're aiming for. But the least effective the vaccine, the higher the uptake rate needs to be used, right? So if the vaccine is less effective, it means it's going to fail in more cases. And that means that overall, we need the greatest number of people as possible to get vaccinated. But, you know, if we get a Pretty effective vaccine, then the benefit there is that even if it's a suboptimal uptake, we don't get as many people as we want to, its effect will be stronger, right, in stamping down the virus. So again, it depends on how good these vaccines will be. That will sort of determine what type of uptake we're going to
0: need. Well, we're looking at the vaccine itself. Is the best case scenario? A vaccine that's kind of like a flu shot that we have to get every year? Or may we be fortunate enough that we wind up with a vaccine that's like when we're kids and you get one inoculation and maybe a booster a few years down the road and we wash our hands of it?
1: It's too early to know again, but I think the general feeling right now is that it's not going to be like, say, the measles shot where you get really good immunity for a long time with one booster, that it's probably going to be more like the flu shots where. It keeps shifting a little bit, and you're going to need a new vaccine every year. And the question: Will you need one dose or two doses? There's, you know, Johnson Johnson is is testing a one dose vaccine. Most of the other front runners are two doses. And it's also true that these first generation vaccines that will be coming out will likely see better ones after them as well. So we might get to the point where it could be a very effective vaccine with long lasting immunity. But again. That's a big wild card right now in terms of how much protection, what kind of robust response any of these vaccines
0: can produce. What could some of the safety concerns be with a new vaccine?
1: We want to avoid things like what happened in 1976. That was when the U.S. launched a campaign to vaccinate. It was every man, woman, and child against swine flu, a feared swine flu pandemic pandemic. And one company produced the wrong strain and the, the shots were blamed for an increase in Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is this rare neurological disorder. So we'd better make sure that before we vaccinate tens of millions of people, many of whom are going to be healthy young people who are very unlikely to die from COVID if they get it. We have to be really sure that we haven't, again, cut any safety corners. There's also concern that in the US and Russia, it's become highly politicized. There's this kind of global economic strength tied to being the first to have the first COVID vaccine. And I think I mentioned, you know, Donald Trump, said yesterday that he may or may not pass these stringent safety standards that the FDA is talking about putting in place. So that undermines public confidence as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are those concerns around being really honest and transparent with people about the approval process and what steps are being taken to make sure that any vaccine that is pushed out is safe and effective.
0: Now, what goes into a government's decisions around who gets the vaccine first? Once we actually get a vaccine, do they say, well, frontline workers are at great risk because they're working with people with the disease, we should vaccinate them first. Or the elderly are of greater risk of dying, so we'll vaccinate them first. Or young adults will spread it wantonly because they don't know when to stay in their homes and not go to big parties, so we'll offer it up to 20-somethings. Like, How does the decision-making work?
1: Those things are being sorted out. Uh, And I think most of the guidelines are the talk around who goes first there's this consensus. It's going to be healthcare workers and other essential employees first, those at high risk of severe complications, and yes, children. There's still a lot of unknowns around kids. We've talked about that before. Even though the evidence so far suggests they're like way less likely than adults to get seriously sick if they do get COVID, the question though is still how efficient they are at spreading the virus. And and we need to be careful when we talk about kids because younger kids are thought to be way less likely to spread the virus than, say, kids aged 10 to 16. So 10 to 16-year-olds might, for example, be the age group targeted with the first round of vaccines. The older group you just mentioned, the 20 to 39-year-olds to who are really driving the new cases now, they could again be targeted because although they are less likely to experience any kind of real problems if they do get COVID, they are the ones that potentially are going to be spreading it to more vulnerable populations. The thing with older people, the tricky one there is that they are the most at risk of severe complications from COVID and at the highest risk of dying. But they also, for lots of reasons, their age and most, many of them have underlying health problems. So they have weaker immune systems. So they tend to not respond well to vaccines. For example, the flu shots. Mm -hmm. So that's another one we're going to have to get around. And most of the vaccines are being tested right now in like healthy adults, 18 to 60. We're not. Testing them in kids yet. We're not really testing them in elderly, frail populations. So we don't know how effective they'll be in those sort of two key groups. You know, it'll be interesting to see what the data tells us when we finish these massive phase three trials and how it can be applied to kids and to older people.
0: Now, once we actually get a vaccine that goes through phase three trials and gets approval, the next step is production. And, you know, Canada is a country of 34 million people. How long does it take to get? Enough vaccine to inoculate a whole country or even 70% of a country or however many people you want to see get vaccinated.
1: The vaccines are being manufactured now, you know, as we speak, even before we know whether they're safe or effective. That's called at risk investments because it's not a given that every vaccine going through a trial right now is even going to get approved, but it's worth spending the money upfront to get them made because as Ellen Bernstein from the uh, COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force said, you know, even if it saves a couple of weeks of having our economy locked down or another thousand people dying, it's worth it to have these doses ready to go as soon as we can push them out. But yeah, there's going to be supply constraints for sure. No matter what vaccine is approved, it's going to take months to scale up the manufacturing, getting the vaccines rolled out, the sheer logistics of immunizing potentially tens of millions of people, that could take a year or more. You know, people who are wondering, will I get the shot or not? You know, it could, that's a choice that could be many, many months and maybe a year or more away for a lot of people. So it's going to take some time.
0: When we talk about Canada and vaccines, where are we getting vaccines from? Are they being developed in Canada? Are we looking at other countries? And could we be looking at a number of countries from which to get vaccines for the whole country? And how do we know which are better than the other?
1: The government announced this week that we've signed another pre-deal, this one with Sanofi, and we've got deals with now five companies developing different vaccines and different kinds of formulations and different approaches. There were initial reports that Russia, when it rushed out its vaccine really quickly, and they kind of essentially skipped the whole crucial phase three trials that are now underway that uh, the vaccines that we've got pre-purchase deals with are going through. You know, so Russia just said, we've got a vaccine, and they totally skipped that phase three trial. And, you know, you can hurt a lot of people by skipping safety trials. So most of ours are being developed by companies in the US and in in Europe. But ultimately, you know, we won't know which is more or most effective until the data comes in from those big, as I keep saying, phase three trials. And those phase three trials are the last trials before you get regulatory approval. And we should see that data towards the end of this year. And that data will tell us which is the most effective or if they're all pretty much equal.
0: Well, I know as the Prime Minister talked in his throne speech about Canada being in the midst of the second wave of the virus, uh, many people are wondering when we'll see the relief that a vaccine may provide. And we'll be following this closely. Sharon, thanks for your time.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Dave.
0: 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sharon Kirkey. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.